You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Hey, y'all. How's it going? Hey. Hey, And we are also joined today by author, teacher, speaker, podcaster, Nancy Guthrie. Hey, Nancy. How are you? Hey, you guys. It is a thrill to get to talk to you guys, to be in this sacred circle of you. (laughs) You know, it's like entering into the Trinity itself or something. That is high praise, high praise. Well, uh, Nancy is the host of Help Me Teach the Bible podcast. She's a regular contributor at the Gospel Coalition. She is the author of many books, including the Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament series, Even Better Than Eden, Saints and Scoundrels in the Story of Jesus, and the brand new book, God Does His Best Work with Empty. And we're just so honored for your time today. Thank you, Nancy, for jumping on the show. We're really glad to have you. Oh, I'm really grateful to get to have this conversation with you. And just selfishly, I have to say, I am really grateful for the Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament series. Mm -hmm. Um, It came into, I was a young teacher and preacher. And when that series was, I was finally getting some reps and just did not know how to make some of those moves. It felt foreign to me. It was really brand new. Me too. And that series was so helpful for me. It has been so helpful for me. And so I'm just tremendously grateful. I probably, I probably cribbed a ton of it for a lot of teachings and sermons. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) And I probably did from somebody else. So we'll just keep passing it along. But I'm tremendously grateful. And if you have not checked out Help Me Teach the Bible podcast and you are a Bible teacher in any variation, you should absolutely do yourself a favor. Yeah, it's invaluable. And you just, you had a milestone, Nancy, didn't you? Didn't you just pass a milestone with it? I did. Um, yeah, I, when I started the podcast, I started recording interviews in 2014. So over five years, I've been doing this. And honestly, you know, you know how it is when you start things, you guys, when you guys started this, it's like, hey, let's start. You don't know exactly where it's headed. <laughs> but I mean, at the time, I don't think I ever could have said, you know, I want to I want to record an episode of every book in the Bible. That would have just seemed like, what, 66 episodes? I don't know. Um, but now I've done, you know, over 140 episodes because the big milestone was that I've now recorded an episode on every book of the Bible, which is pretty wow. awesome. It's especially what's thrilling to me, it's not just about every book of the Bible, but every book of the Bible with incredible yes. people. Mm. Uh, you know, people with, with, with tremendous insight on the scriptures. That's really helpful. I mean, I... I have learned so much doing this. I, I I feel spoiled rotten, actually, to have gotten to have all these conversations. Every time I look at your guest list, I'm like, man, I, I wonder, like, are you just like selfishly doing this so that you can get to meet these people? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I'm, Yes, I remember I was at, uh, I, um, I was on this trip and I connected with a theologian that I'd written a fan letter to because I just learned so much from him. And he nicely invited me over his house. And so, you know, before I started the podcast, I was like, this is an excuse to invite myself over yes. to the offices or homes of the people I'd really like to sit around and have a conversation about the Bible with. And so, yes, absolutely. It was was selfish to get to that. But also it was, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I, sometimes I just feel like everything I do in teaching and writing about the Bible is also my accountability 
Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. For it's, sure. It's it's what keeps me in the scriptures. I would like to think and hope that I would spend as much time in the scriptures if I wasn't committing to have a conversation about it or write about mm-hmm. it or teach it to someone else. I hope that's the case. And, and, and certainly we're talking to people who, who not, aren't all doing that, right? And so we, w- we want that to be the case. But, you know, even just committing, I'm going to do all these interviews. A big part of it for me was all that I learned in the preparation for yeah. the interviews, mm-hmm. having the conversation, the editing it, then the listening to it, all of that. I just learned so much. And so that's been, that's been the thrill of it to me. So good. It. I love it. Well, before we jump into our topic today, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, uh, Formless and Void, Genesis 1-2, and, and, and kind of playing off of some of the work that Nancy's done in her recently released book. But before we jumped into that, I wanted to talk about a kind of a common burden that we have that we share with you, Nancy, and something we talk a lot about on Knowing Faith, which is providing theological equipping and education for people in the life of the church. And you've been doing this through these biblical theology workshops. And I was just telling Nancy before we jumped on, actually have some women from Mosaic who are signed up to go to one of these digital workshops coming up. And so I'm really excited about that. But why don't you just share a little bit about your heart of providing really strong biblical theology equipping to women in these workshops? Because I think it's an incredibly, I mean, it lines up so much with the DNA of what Knowing Faith is all about. Well, I I think that uh, many people are like me in that I grew up in the church studying Bible, so much Bible study in my history. And yet it wasn't until about maybe 12 to 15 years ago, I discovered this specific approach to the Bible, which is that of redemptive historical and understanding the Bible as one story centered on the person and work of Christ. Mm -hmm. And honestly, as I began to discover that, I was like, well, I got to go back to kindergarten and even (laughs) understand where to even start. And actually, you mentioned earlier my Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament series. I mean, that was kind of my grade school after I went to kindergarten with my first book about discovering Jesus in the Old Testament, just to reorient Mm -hmm. how I understood the Bible. Because I think for most of us, I'll just speak for myself, and I'd be interested, especially you, Jen, because I think this is heavy in women's Bible study. The orientation is read a verse of the Bible and then jump immediately to how am I going to apply this to myself? And, you know, what am I going to do because of this? Mm -hmm. But when you approach the Bible as one story centered on the person and the work of Christ— What's most important is not what am I going to do, but it's what has Christ done? Mm -hmm. And sometimes the what am I going to do is simply I'm going to worship him Mm -hmm. and I'm going to become joined to him by faith because I'm seeing how significant he is, how necessary, how beautiful, how essential. And that's the primary action that we take. So anyway, so my own discover of Discovery of biblical theology has been huge for me, but I've seen throughout my Seeing Jesus series, and then I saw it in my Even Better Than Eden study, just women, uh, a light coming on. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you love the Bible and you love Christ, and then you discover biblical theology, yeah. so that everywhere in the, you look in the Bible, you're seeing how it leads to the person and work of Christ, your heart explodes. Yeah. And there is so much joy. And so I just got this idea of offering these workshops around the country to introduce, and, and, and for some people have been introduced to it, hopefully take a step further um, to both show them how to do it, show them... Um, 
major themes that run from the beginning to the end in the Bible, how to trace those themes and how as you trace the story according to all these different themes of the Bible, you see the beauty of Christ from all these different angles and it leads your heart to worship. And it also helps you when you then go to smaller bits of the Bible and you see one of these themes arise in it. It helps you to interpret it rightly, to apply it more faithfully. And so anyway, I, you know, I was going around the country teaching these. Of course, that all stopped like everything else stopped, right, in March. And so I've been offering them online throughout the summer and the fall. And then next year, I don't know, I have 17 or 18 around the country and internationally planned. And Lord willing, we'll get going to doing them in person again. That's nice. I love that. I love it. And it just lines up so much with our heartbeat for knowing faith, with our heartbeat for adult education, the life of the local church, um, and just that we want to provide uh, accessible resourcing around Christian story and Christian belief for men and women in the life of the church. My experiences at this workshop is that women love being treated like they have a brain. It's amazing, isn't it? And, you know, as, as I'm walking out, they're like, my mind is spinning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, but it's not just learning for learning's sake, because also their heart is warmed mm-hmm. toward Christ. I mean, mm-hmm. that is the beautiful blend that yeah, we're right. looking for, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And we get to do that right now as we think about Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2 in particular. And so last episode, we talked about what was happening before the beginning, if we can talk about before the beginning. Last time we were in Genesis, and we talked about uh, Trinitarian relationships relationships before the beginning. So we kind of stopped and and paused there, but that verse continues. In the beginning, God, he does something and he says he creates the heavens and the earth. And so let's just, before we get to one, two, um, let's stop there. God creates the heavens and the earth. So when we're talking about this work of creation in the heavens and the earth, what is being distinguished here? Because the days are going to go on to detail this. And so what does it mean to start with God created the heavens and the earth before we get to without form and void. What does that mean? God creates everything. Is that a good place to start? Is heavens and the earth just a general designation for the, is it the raw material? Is it everything that exists before? I mean, what is heavens and the earth? One thing I would say, it's what we can see and what we can't see. Mm. So the the visible creation, the invisible creation. Yeah. So I mean, one place we can go look, and we this is maybe connecting back to our last episode a little bit of talking about some concentric circles and who God is before creation, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Trinitarian relations in creation, redemption, salvation. Is we can see that when God creates the heavens and the earth, Paul is picking up a similar theme when he's talking about the deity and sonship of Christ in Colossians chapter one when he says. He is the image of the invisible God, so this God who existed before all creation, and he is the firstborn of all creation. He is this eternally begotten son, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Paul here is taking this Genesis 1 and 2 meta theme of creation, that God existed before all things, that he is ase, distinct in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Son is participating with the Father in creation by the Holy Spirit as the one who is through whom all things are coming into being. Well, and and part of this, part of maybe even 
some confusion around how to read this would be that heaven is used in a different way. There's kind of different ways that heaven or heavenly language is deployed in the Bible. And you see it even here in Genesis one, you have the heavens as the expanse, meaning probably Mm -hmm. more of like the visible sky or what's sometimes called the firmament. You have the heavenly places, which is sometimes what we maybe is closer to thrones or dominions, the spiritual, the unseen realm. And then you have sometimes what is called just heaven, which would be the place of divine benevolent presence, uh, uh, the place where God rules and reigns. So heaven language is is a little bit confusing because I think a lot of times the average reader of the Bible just thinks about heaven as the place you go when you die. But the way or the that, sky, or the mm-hmm. sky, the mm-hmm. heavenly places, yes, uh, uh, or the well, and it's harps and harps and angels and clouds. Right. So, yeah. Wait, it's yeah. not. You're working against a lot sometimes. <laughs> it, is, it is. It's a very wispy word uh, right, in, in the, right. in the mm-hmm. kind of modern right. imagination. Um, so, but it doesn't stop there. God creates the heavens and the earth, but it says something specific about the earth. It says the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, I have to tell you, as an early reader of the book of Genesis, this was absolutely confounding to me because you don't even think about like when you hear the story of creation, when it gets put on the flannel board in Sunday school, you go right to the days. This part mm-hmm. is not on the table. <laughs> it's not, well, not we, part, we can't imagine what it would look like. How right, are you going to put right. this on a flannel board? <laughs> right, right. The face of the deep and formless and void. And so, what is happening here? Why is this a part of the story? What are we to learn from this verse when it comes to first God's creative act in action in the world? What's happening here? So he speaks all of creation into being and it is this unformed matter. And I've come to see this as actually a beautiful thing that this is here. I get what you're talking about, about like at first, well, I don't know about this. I think mainly because we think so much about creation, it was was made as perfection. Mm -hmm. And so, but we're seeing in the very second verse of the Bible, there's actually three problems with creation as it was originally spoken into being. You mentioned it. There's a, there's this formlessness Mm -hmm. And then there's this void or emptiness. Mm-hmm. And then there's darkness. Mm. But of course, you didn't complete verse two <laughs> because mm-hmm. there's also hope. Right. Right. That this spirit is hovering mm-hmm. over the, the, this, d- these dark waters. And we realize, okay, God is at work and he is doing something good. But I think it just goes against our instincts. We've had it so ingrained into us that the original creation was perfect that to introduce the idea that that the earth wasn't just spoken into being perfect, that that, that was work God did. And and I would say even, um, even, even when we see what we continue to see in Genesis 1, that... What God spoke into being, we need to think of the original creation, not in terms of perfection, but in terms of potential. Mm. Because we're going to see God do a work in the rest of Genesis 1 in terms of bringing form to the formlessness and filling the emptiness and uh, illuminating the darkness. But even then, it's not quite yet perfection. There's still, it's still potential. 
So I want to I want to clarify an idea here because when we when we hear dark and and formless and void, I think we think bad. It sounds moral. like almost sounds like moral. did yeah. God create a bad thing that needed fixing? Um, is there an implicit and it was good? Uh, in this verse, as we'll see in the rest of the of, of the Genesis um, creation account, or how how should we think about this initial creation? Can we think about it in terms of purposed? Like mm-hmm. like it, it is for it is it is God's creative work with the formlessness and void of the earth and the deep and the darkness is intended or it is good in that it meets its intended purpose. And maybe that's the best way to think about all the days of creation is not that they are good in a moral category of holiness or good or evil, but that they are good in that this is what is intended for now. Yeah, I think this is the same thing we run into when we get into the language in the New Testament of being made perfect or perfected. It's 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 a it's a completeness idea, not a morally good or bad idea. Yeah, no, I think that that's really helpful, and part partly because um, I think that uh, it's it's crucial. And I want to come back to this distinction you've made, um, Nancy, on perfect and potential. But before we do that, when we think about formless and void, what are we actually talking about? That Hebrew phrase, tohu vavohu, right? What does it actually, what is the formlessness and void? Is it chaos? Is it primordial chaos? Is it just, I mean, is it seething? I mean, what is formless and void? Blake? Well, I'm no Hebrew scholar. You guys probably know a lot more Hebrew than I do, but you know, there's, there's this aspect of a barren wilderness, and we're going to discover as we continue reading that in the midst of this wilderness, he's going to plant a garden. Right? Yeah. But, but um, yeah, I think it, what you've said, Jen, what you've brought up is, is so important. Just because it was wilderness wasn't evil. Um, right. But it, it, it has this potential. Uh, and in fact, it, and it, let's bring in another P word, purpose. Although, Kyle, I guess you said that, right? It, it, it's purposeful. And so even here in this second verse of the Bible, we, we see a God who has a purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think it helps us to understand what's happening to understand, to uh, read it in light of where we know he's headed. And where he's headed, I think, is best summarized in actually a verse out of Habakkuk, that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Yeah. And so if we realize that that's where God is headed, we see he, this, is a, this is a process headed toward that purpose. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I think all that's really good too. We've talked about in a previous episode that, again, this is history, but it's also a theological history that Moses has a purpose in writing these things. And part of that purpose is to argue against other creation myths, whether it's Canaanite or Babylonian or Egyptian uh, understandings of cosmology and the beginnings of the world. And most of those kind of pagan ancient or Eastern worlds really had no problem. Uh, That might not be the best way to say it, but with chaos, they had chaotic worldviews where the gods are at war with each other or the gods are at war with creation or that the gods work in and through creation. And Moses is rejecting those pagan creation myths and saying, our God actually reigns over the chaos and he brings order from the chaos, which is a very different understanding of 
how God relates to the world and how God relates to his people. So he's, he's rejecting chaos. He sees yeah. it and then he brings order out of it and through it. Yeah, and formative for how we understand image bearing, because this mm-hmm. is this work of bringing order out of chaos uh, is going to be part of what God calls Adam and Eve to do in Genesis one twenty seven through thirty, right? Mm-hmm. Which is to take the potential of Eden, this garden, and stretch it over the whole of the world, right? Um, that uh, they're going to cultivate and subdue. So maybe one way to think of it, if if. Genesis 1 and 2 is still a polemic for us and helping us understand, as Jen, you've already talked about, who is God, who are we, what is the world, what's the problem, and how does God solve it? Some answering some of those questions, this is contrasting what many have today as a fatalistic view of the world. Well, it's just chaos, and my, my, my world is, you know, it might feel like that right now if you're homeschooling kids during a pandemic, and you're like, this is a fatalistic <laughs> understanding of the world, you know. But what, what the Bible, and I, I love how Nancy emphasized this, that in the midst of all the chaos, the spirit of God is hovering over it and bringing order out of it. So if your life feels chaotic today and you're working through, well, how do I make sense of this? And why am I here? And maybe I'm working through tragedy. Maybe I'm working through a significant trial in your life. It's it, God is working through that chaos to bring about an ordered creation all centered around Jesus. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World is seminary president Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. And this is part of where your book, where your book starts. You, you start, Nancy, with God does his work with, best work with empty with this verse. Right. Absolutely. Because, I mean, you read God uh, created the heavens and the earth and then to run into this problem in the in just the second verse. But then as you continue reading the chapter, it just like begins to dawn on you that this thing that seems like a big problem to us isn't a problem Mm -hmm. to God. Mm -hmm. I mean, all he has to do is speak. Right. And the problem of darkness is eradicated. It's illumined, right? Uh, he just, he speaks all of these things into being, into being. And so I think it's incredibly hopeful to discover from the very beginning something, as Jen says, about who our God is. Mm-hmm. And that is that emptiness is not a problem to God. Yeah. And, you know, as I think about uh, people in the midst of this pandemic, um, you know, I honestly, the way this book was coming out, the timing of it, I was concerned about some of the things. And I just think it's so in the in the sovereignty of God that it came out because 
I think we're coming face to face with our emptiness in a way that we've been able to distract ourselves from Mm -hmm. a lot. Uh, Meaninglessness, boredom, loss, fear about the future, all these Mm -hmm. things are empty. And we can begin to feel very desperate about Mm -hmm. these things until we look at the Bible beginning at this very second verse and first chapter. And then as we trace the story throughout the Bible, we see, oh, he didn't just do this at creation. Over and over again, things that are too hard, impossible. Like if you, if we were to jump to, you know, the next, a huge event in redemptive history when God makes these incredible promises to Abram, but then we discover, oh, wait a minute, there's a problem. Right. Immediately. I mean, we could think of that in in some ways. Here's the beginning of the new creation of these Mm -hmm. new creation people he's going to make. But there's a problem of emptiness Mm -hmm. with Sarah's womb. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. we discover, oh, not a problem to God. Not a yeah. problem to God, right? And and then he 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 forms a people for himself. And we've got this nation who moves into the promised land, and uh, Jeremiah des- Maya describes as they indulge in idolatry, they become empty. Mm-hmm. But then both Jeremiah says there's, you know, that as he looks at it, he sees what Babylon's going to do. It's going to be like a desolation. Mm-hmm. But then both Jeremiah and then the prophet Ezekiel the Holy Spirit enables them to see, no, God is at work. He's going to do something. He is going to restore the desolation. And uh, what's fascinating is to get, say, to the book of Ezekiel and see some of its connections to what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. Because in Ezekiel 34 and 36, as he talks about what God is going to do, he, it's related to water. He's going, mm-hmm. There's going to be a, a, a washing yeah, And it's related to the spirit doing mm-hmm. a work. And so there Ezekiel sees this new creation coming, that the spirit is going to work and it's going to happen through the waters. And then we get to the New Testament. What happens? Jesus walks into the waters mm. of the Jordan. He goes, he goes into the waters. And, and what just is the picture of Genesis 2, this spirit hovering it's kind of this aviary image, you know, of, mm-hmm. of, of a, a hovering of a dove. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you see that hovering of a dove, spirit waters with Noah. We, we right. see it in what mm-hmm. Ezekiel says. And then Jesus, you know, walking into the waters of Jordan to John the Baptist to be baptized. And what happens? You know, God speaks from heaven. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. And, and, and you've got this imagery of the spirit hovering coming once again. And mm-hmm. so we realize something is starting. Here and and but the other thing I guess I want to say is that the Genesis one two if this is the story of creation how God speaks life and beauty and fullness into the world we understand this is also how He works in the new creation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is what we've experienced right we we come to Christ. And we are empty and our lives are right, dark, mm-hmm. formless. There's a hopelessness to our lives. Mm-hmm. And we come to him and we are joined to Christ. And he does this work of new creation. And it mm-hmm. gives us a lot of hope that mm-hmm. we think sometimes our lives are beyond 
any kind of newness. Everything seems so dark about our lives and beginning right here in the Bible. But then certainly as we continue, we know that the darkness in my life, the emptiness in my life is not a problem for God. Mm, I love that. And the emptiness is filled and the darkness is illumined. Mm. That's so good. I think that is. I mean, it's so rich. And to think about it as not just that he can do this, um, but that he has done this already in the history of the world. He, this is a, he's got a proven track record of speaking into this, bringing light where there is darkness, bringing hope where there is hopelessness, bringing fullness where there is emptiness. Um, and that it is a work that he not only does, but would you also say that it's a work that he does in us, but also does through us? Because that's kind of what's happening in Genesis 1, right? That we've already talked about, that like God mirrors for his people in creation, what he's going to call them to do in their vocation, right? Like he, he demonstrates, hey, this is what it looks like to bring order out of chaos in the creative act. But then in the cultural mandate in Genesis 1, 27 through 30, he's going to tell Adam and Eve, now go and do this. Go and do this in the world. And so it's not just that he's going to do this work, but that his doing of the work models what his people are to be characterized by. Is that fair to say? Is that a connection? I think it is. I mean, his command is fill the earth. Mm-hmm. Right. Because once again, his, his, he's headed in a direction from the very beginning and that that's the earth is filled with uh, image bearers who bear his glorious image. So I suppose the question becomes for us now, how is that happening? Right. And it's kind of happening the same way through his word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We... Um, we don't think we can generate the fullness. We, we, you and I can't fill the world with image bearers, but we can give out his word. (laughs) And as we give out his word, his word and spirit, once again, word, the spirit uses the word. And what happens? Um, People become remade in his image so that as the gospel goes out and spreads throughout the earth and people are made new, people enter into this new creation life, um, the earth is being filled with the glory of God. That's right. Well, and I think we even see that too. If you're in, in Nancy, you did, I mean, I almost started speaking in tongues after you're given that Old Testament biblical <laughs> theology. I was like, yes, it's so good. And it all culminates in Jesus, right? So you have the spirit hovering over the empty womb of Mary, yes. bringing about this new one to come who then is born. And we know he is the son of God, the eternal son of God, and then Jesus of Nazareth, who, when he is baptized, the spirit then hovers over him. The lot, one of the last times we heard of a dove of hovering over the waters was in this decreation, recreation narrative of Noah's Ark, where Noah sends out the dove that never returns, that we then see descending on the person of Jesus, because this is God bringing about new creation, who is the image of the invisible God, who then ascends into the heavens, creates image bearers through the spirit who hovers over all that's formless and void, bringing about new image bearers in us at recreation, who one day returns as the image bearer who we no longer have need for a son anymore because he is our light forever. No more formless void darkness. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful to think about God being full Mm. 
And I think about a lot of the work you've done, Jen, to talk about what he's full of in terms mm. of his nature and his character. And the thing is, like, he doesn't have like a, a little bit of these things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is full. He is overflowing with all of these attributes according to his riches in glory, right? He is, he is doing these things and he, he doesn't intend to keep that fullness to himself. Mm-hmm. But John actually tells us uh, in John 1, which is, you know, an echo of Genesis 1, is it not? Because he yeah. begins once again in the beginning. Yeah. And then he tells us about Jesus that he was full, mm-hmm. full of grace and truth. And then a couple of verses later, he says that from this fullness, he is giving us grace. We receive grace upon grace. I mean, to think about filling the emptiness of our lives as, as the heart of the ministry of Jesus, according to John 1, wouldn't be a stretch. And even now we are filled with his spirit mm-hmm. as we are joined to him. And we have a future of fullness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fullness. I think I think Paul is getting that at that in Ephesians 2 when he says that in the coming ages he might show immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. I mean, it's this picture of being in the new heaven and the new earth mm-hmm. and experiencing, continuing to experience experiencing, to experience the riches, the the overabundance, the superabundance of all that God is and all that he has done and all, uh, uh, and that that is just flowing, overflowing from him into our lives, into eternity. Yeah, that's awesome. I think one of the cool connections that, that I saw with this was Arthur Pink, when I was studying the Sermon on the Mount, he writes on the Beatitudes along these same lines. And he reflects on how that, basically he says that the first four are pointing to form and then the second four pointing to fullness. And he points out how, because it starts with who's blessed, the one who's poor in spirit, who mourns, who's meek and who hungers and thirsts. And he makes the point that, you know, uh, you can't fill something that's already full of self-reliance, self-sufficiency. Um, and he, he goes on to list others. Um, and he talks about how there are so many books that are written for on how to be f- full, but there are so few books written on how to be empty. Um, and, and just that whole connection of um, Jesus doesn't start saying we're blessed when we're, when we're merciful. He says we're blessed when we recognize our need. Um, there's blessing in that. And I, I think of that in, in relation to this Genesis 1-2, the fact that the earth begins in darkness and formless and void is not bad. It's the beginning point. It's the beginning of, of the blessed act that is about to happen in the, in the six days of creation. Um, but I always have just thought, you know, it's it's a blessed thing to hunger and thirst in, in spiritual terms. And this lines up with something we discussed in a previous episode on our experience of need. Yeah. Is different than God. Right. God. God is distinct in that God does not experience 
need. He is ase, self-existent, self-sufficient, and self-satisfied. And it is because that God is delighted in himself, that it is his fullness that can meet our emptiness. If God was creating out of need, uh, if he was creating from some sort of solitary emptiness in himself, then we would be creatures uh, determined to emptiness forever because he would not have the fullness that we need. We, We would be meeting something in him. Well, and he, Eden, Eden is provided with food. Like we're, we're created with a body that will give us a liturgy for being emptied and filled, emptied and filled, emptied and filled. And I think about just the mercy of God to even, we tend to think that any need that we experience must be a result of Genesis 3. And it's so important for us to recognize that need is actually part of the created order as it relates to, to humans. Yeah. Not just to humans, but... That's good, Jen. Yeah. And the question throughout the rest of the story of the Bible is, what are you going to fill yourself with? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Where, where are you going to go to get that need met? Uh, because over and over again in the Bible, beginning in Genesis 3, yeah. we see people seeking to fill the emptiness, to fill yeah. the need with illegitimate means. Right? Mm-hmm. We see Eve... Uh, you know, I jumped earlier to Sarah. She, she goes to illegitimate means mm-hmm. to fill the emptiness. We get to the nation of Israel and, you know, out of their desire for their crops to grow and for rain to fall and everything. So they're they're going to the bales and they're, they're, they're filling the emptiness with illegitimate means. And the big question of my life and your life is, How's the emptiness going to get filled? Yeah. And then we come to the New Testament and we discover it says that Christ fills all things with himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then I begin to think about how I so easily fill my life with other things, in, in, you know, illegitimate things to fill the emptiness. It's, or, or like going back to that food metaphor. I mean, how many times have you been driving down the interstate and you're watching for that logo of the place you like to show up on the sign, right? So you can fill the emptiness of your stomach and you, you pass so many miles and you're not seeing it. So finally you just give up and you stop and you get that burger Taco, that not, Taco Bell. Oh Taco Bell. Gosh. Taco Bell. No, We're looking for Chick-fil-A. Just say it. We're looking for Chick-fil-A, but sometimes we feel the need with Taco Bell. Yeah, exactly. And then I'm, if you I'm, get back on the interstate and a couple of exits later, there right. it is, right? Yeah, yeah. But what's the problem? You already filled up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What wasn't good. I mean, isn't that the story of our lives? And um, the, so instead, the aim of our, our life should be, Lord, I want you to fill me up. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't use, I can't, it can't be filled with Netflix and the internet and shopping or food or alcohol or scrolling on the internet. These things just aren't going to fill me up in the way that only you can. Yeah, it's so good. I'm sorry, Nancy, that hit a little too close to home and I'm now going to leave the broadcast. (laughs) (laughs) Only because it hit home here first, darling. (laughs) I know how that works. I got to punch myself before I can punch anybody else. And I think it's, um, the question I was going to end us with is something you've already mentioned, Nancy, which is we've been talking a lot about how Genesis 1 through 11 has really defined grooves through the rest of the story of scripture. Like there are echoes and resonances of 
gen- uh, of the themes, and you hit on so many of them. But just to name some of the things, because you threw them out when you were doing it. I mean, there was a lot. Uh, but we're talking about barrenness, the theme of barrenness, and God bringing life where there could, where it appeared that there could not be life. Fallow ground. And the contrast of fruitfulness. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. barrenness. Absolutely. Fruitfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about the water here in Genesis 1-2, that God, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has this way throughout the rest of the story of Scripture, whether it's, the, whether it's Noah and the flood, or it's the Exodus event, uh, or, or it's the baptism of Jesus, or the baptism of his people in the church, that God is bringing life by the power of the Holy Spirit through the chaotic waters of death right? That he's transforming things. Uh, would there be anything else that you feel like, okay, if we're tracing this, we're, what else would we put our finger on? So we look at hunger. We talked about that a little bit, right? Uh, he let you hunger so that you would know that man is not, right. um, man cannot live by bread alone, mm-hmm. but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We see it in, in the manna. And then we see Jesus show up on the scene and he's, he's feeding, filling their stomachs and let me just, a little aside here. Remember I talked about how God is always overflowing. He's not less just a little bit. So all the pictures of God filling so often, it's, this is the way it is in the book of Luke, of, of Ruth, that um, she gets to eat their grain and then there's all this left over. Mm-hmm. And Jesus feeds these 5,000 on the hillside. There's 12 baskets left over. I mean, I think he, that's speaking to the abundance of the way that God fills. And so, and into e- eternity, we're looking forward to what? A feast. Mm-hmm. He's going to fill hunger. So you mentioned barrenness and, and fruitfulness. And so we've, we've, we've got this uh, fruitfulness in the, in the garden and they're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. And we could trace that all the way through um, maybe even the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. And this is how fruitfulness is going to look. It's going to look like, you know, the Spirit working through the Word. But it's also going to be personal. Mm -hmm. We're going to bear fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And it's going to look like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So it's going to bear fruit in our lives. But then there's the ultimate fruit the first fruit in, in, in the resurrection of Jesus, that there's the, the fruit, but it's just the first because the day is coming in this ultimate fruitfulness mm-hmm. of resurrection. And then we look into the consummation and the mm-hmm. new heavens and the new earth. And the very last verse of the Bible is this incredible picture of fruitfulness. The, the tree of life is yeah. now expanded. It's on both sides of the river. And it doesn't just have one kinds of fruit. It has 12 kinds of fruit. And it doesn't just have one crop of fruit every year. It's got a new crop of fruit every month. I mean, mm-hmm. the Bible is just shouting at us yeah. this message of, of abundance and fruitfulness filling up the emptiness over and over again through so many different images. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And, you know, I think uh, it's really, uh, I think this is a great example of what, um, now I, I want to say fruit, the benefit of really 
burrowing down into a portion of scripture that it is easy to drive right past, right? Because most people, when we're thinking about Genesis, they go right to the days and some big questions around that. We've talked about that before, but there is something that is incredibly profound that's happening in Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2. And if we zoom right past it to get to what we think is all the action, then we miss, this is a theme that in just a few minutes we have detailed now is resonating all throughout the rest of the story of what God has done in bringing order out of chaos and purposing this, not as perfection, but as potential for what he is doing, will do, and will do through his people and perfectly in his son and by the power of the spirit. And so that's really incredible. Thank you, Nancy, for joining us today for this conversation. I'm so I hope you'll have me back again. This was really fun. It was really fun. <laughs> we well, can just hang out and not even record it. We can just talk about the Bible all day yeah. together. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That would be a blast. But Nancy, if people were looking to find you online, where would you direct them for the biblical theology workshop you're writing and all that? NancyGuthrie.com. I know it's not real creative, but that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and there they'll, they'll find, you know, how they can access if they want to do one of these uh, online workshops while we wait for the world to open up to us again or where I'm going to be offering workshops next year. And, and going along with this discussion, the other thing I've been doing is offering biblical theology to tutorials where I take two or three themes and we just work on tracing those themes. And the one I did last Saturday was on emptiness, fruitfulness, and water because it's living water, right? So Mm -hmm. it all really connects to what we've been talking about today. So if people want to hear more about that, they can go to my website and uh, watch the um, recording of that three-hour tutorial on that. That's awesome. NancyGethry.com. Thank you, Nancy, for jumping on. If you want to find out more about Knowing Faith or if you want to jump into the conversation, you can find us on social media, Knowing Faith Podcast. In our next episode, we'll be diving deep into Genesis 1 and 2. So hope you enjoy the discussion. Grace and peace. Peace.